It is better by far that your sins are forgiven, even if they're not forgotten, even if at times they come back to your memory. Better by far that they're forgiven and not forgotten than that they would be forgotten and not forgiven, that they still stand against you in the very presence of God himself. That is the worst position of all, to be at peace with yourself when your sins are not dealt with. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, it sounds counterintuitive that the most dangerous place to be is at peace with yourself. Well, that's the secular world's idea, that as long as you're at peace with yourself, that's the only thing that matters. And the reason that that is the secular world's idea is that the secular world discounts God. What about being at peace with God? We're in the story of Joseph and his brothers. The brothers had committed great evils and evidently, years afterwards, had completely forgotten about it. They were at peace with themselves. They'd moved on. That's the great thing, isn't it? Just move on. Just move on. Put the past behind you. Well, what about the past before God? The Holy Spirit, when he begins a work in a person's life, actually does a very disturbing thing. He convinces us of sin. He may bring back to our memory, things that we had suppressed that have not yet been dealt with. And when he does that, he does it in order that they may be brought before God, confessed, placed under the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiven. And when I'm at peace with God, then I can be at peace with myself because there really is peace and uh, peace to be enjoyed. But what a dangerous thing just to tell myself that everything's okay if it's not okay with God. And we're going to hear more about this in the message. So please, if you can, open your Bible as we continue with the second part of Awakened and Convicted. Here's Pastor Colin. Second way in which God awakens the conscience is that he arouses the memory. And this we see especially in verse 21 and 22. But I think that the awakening of memory actually may have begun as early as verse 1. See what you think. When Jacob, verse 1, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Now, that's fascinating. Why were they looking at one another? See, I think after what had happened, the brothers selling him to the traders who they knew were taking him to Egypt, I think Egypt became the unspoken word in that family. Don't ever say the word Egypt, okay? That's just between us ten, right? And then suddenly, here's the old man comes out, and he says, well, you know, we don't have any food, but I've heard some good news, boys. There is actually grain for sale, and it's in Egypt. And they're kind of looking at each other. Did he say Egypt? And he wants us to go to Egypt? Jacob says, why, why, why are you looking at each other? <laughs> Memory is just being aroused, just the beginning of it here. And that must have continued, you see, as they took the journey to Egypt. And it must have been in their minds, surely at that point, that this is where we sent our brother. Then verse 17, they're thrown into prison. And now memory is really aroused because you see the parallel. What did they do? For no good reason, they threw their brother into the pit. Now they arrive in Egypt and for no good reason, they have been thrown into the prison. 
They can't fail to see the parallel. And now uh, the memory is alive. After 20 years, it's brought up. And in their consciousness, uh, what has been suppressed is brought into the open. And they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. And when he begged us and we did not listen, and that is why this distress has come upon us. You see how vivid that verse is? It's all coming back to them now. In their memory, now aroused, they can hear his voice crying out to them from the pit. They say, we saw his distress. They must have come to the edge of the pit, looked over and and seen the distress in his face and then just walked away. And they pushed that away for 20 years, not been thinking about it, but now it all comes back to them. And their own sin and the guilt of it, it, it's real, it's alive, it's fresh, it's present, it's on them. Why? Because God himself has stirred it up. Why? Because if they go on simply forgetting and never dealing with this, it's going to bring them to the most terrible end. And so, verse 22, you have Reuben saying, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. And so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. You see how God is intervening in their lives, the awakening of conscience, disturbing peace, arousing memory through all these circumstances, all coming back to them now. And they can't push it away any longer. We're guilty. And there are real consequences for real sins. Third way in which God awakens the conscience, he does it by speaking harshly. Now, this was a surprise to me. I hadn't expected this in the story, but it's there not only once but twice and surely has significance. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Now, as we follow the story, there'll come a great moment where Joseph reveals himself to the brothers. It's beautiful when that happens. But it doesn't happen straight away. The story is not that the brothers come and they see Joseph and Joseph recognizes them and he sort of, you know, immediately says to them, hey, it's me, good news, everything's fine. No, that's not what happens. That was not their experience. Their first experience was that he was as a stranger to them. And he spoke roughly to them. And so that you know that that's not, you know, just picking on one word here. This was the thing that so impressed itself on the brothers that they report it to the father when they get back home in verse 30. They say, the man, the Lord of the land, that's Joseph, of course, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. Now, there's something very important here, and I want you to grasp it. I wonder if you have ever noticed how often in the Gospels, the first words that Jesus speaks to a person are words that might easily have turned them away. If you've never noticed this, just watch for it. You'll find it's not always the case, but but you will find it is often the case that Jesus speaks words in a conversation with someone in the Gospel early on that that might easily turn them away. Let me give you just one example. I could give you many, but Matthew chapter 15. There's a Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus in great distress, and she begs Jesus for help. 
She's a Canaanite woman. And Jesus says to her, when she begs for help, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, how encouraging is that for a Canaanite woman? Well, she's made of stern stuff, and she's not going to be easily put off. And so she comes back, she says, Lord, help me. You know, you may have come for the lost sheep of Israel, but help me. And Jesus says to her, think about this. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. At that point, I'm thinking, if this woman goes and says, I am so out of here. Did you say dog? Nobody speaks to me like that. I'm not surprised if this woman is off. But not this woman. Quick as a flash, she's back to Jesus and she says, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, oh, woman, you have great faith. According to your desire, be it done unto you. Now, let me try and explain where you might experience something similar. You come to church where we all try to place ourselves under the word of God. And what you hear as the word of God comes into your life and it lands in your heart, what you hear is not comfortable for you. It's actually disturbing to you. It brings to your mind things that you would rather forget. You feel uncomfortable. And, of course, living in a society where we're being told all the time that every experience of life uh, must be calculated to make you feel good about yourself and so forth. Here you come to church, the Word of God lands in your life, and what you feel is disturbed. And so there's a certain shallow kind of person who very, very quickly say, I'm out of here. I'll go someplace that that's not going to be my experience. Dear pastor, you make me feel guilty. Yours angrily. Out of here. You think that doesn't happen? A woman came up to me last night after the service. She said, thank you so much for that part of the service. She says, my son, and he was there last night, my son says to me, he doesn't like coming to church because he doesn't like the way it makes him feel. And she said, I know that he is under conviction of sin. And today, what you said explains what he is experiencing. I prayed with that woman. Thank God for a spiritually discerning mother can actually understand what's going on in her child. A less discerning mother will say, oh, he's feeling uncomfortable. Let's find another place that's going to make him more comfortable. And then what happens? We're all comfortable. We all go home saying, oh, God loves us. We can live happy lives. And we never actually change. 20 years later, the kid's grown up and the work of redeeming grace has never happened in his soul. As the mother and the father were too scared at the thought that God might actually shine the light into the sins in the heart of their own son and daughter. God deliver us from churches that make the center of the agenda for the people of God to feel good about themselves. No transformation can ever come about through that. 
Just become older and older versions of what we were before. Real change in men like the ten brothers begins here. Begins when God disturbs the peace. Begins when God arouses the memory. Begins even when God speaks words that are uncomfortable for them to hear. That's why it says in Romans chapter 7, Paul explains this. He said, now look, the law is good. You know, the whole Bible is law and gospel. And you, you have people who say, well, you know, just tell us the good stuff. Just tell us good news. Just tell us what's going to make us feel really good. Forget all the law stuff. Forget anything that's about a call to holiness. Forget anything that relates to conviction of sin. Why do we have to have this law stuff? Paul says, the law is good. Why? Because it is through the law that we come to discover our own sins. That's what we need. Why? Because only when you feel the weight of the law will you come to see your need of the gospel. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and we should thank him for it and welcome it when it happens in our lives. That's why you have this experience. And when I place myself under the word of God too, I have this experience week after week. Of feeling searched and sifted and put through the mangle. The the light of God shining into the soul and saying, here's what you need to deal with. If you feel convicted of sin today, any day, every day, thank God for it. Because the worst of all spiritual positions is to be at peace with yourself when your sins are not dealt with. And the great irony, of course, is that the one who is speaking harshly to these brothers is actually the brother who loves them and whose undeserved favor, which they will soon discover, is going to save them. And so here's what I want to say to you, to the young person, to the older person who says, you know, I come to church, I don't feel comfortable. What you're experiencing, you feel as if God is actually against you. But I'm telling you that this God is speaking into your life and sifting the stuff that's hidden and pressed down in there because he loves you, because he is for you. And when you come to know who he is, you will have a completely different perspective on all that he says and all that he does because you will see that all along he has been working for your good. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message Awakened and Convicted, part of our series, Snapshots of a Godly Life. And if you ever miss any of our broadcasts, you can always catch up or go back and listen again or maybe send a copy to a friend by going to the website. That's openthebible.org.uk. There you can download any of the messages to date as an MP3 entirely free or you can simply stream the message from the website. Back to the message now. Here's Pastor Colin. How does God awaken conscience? He does it by disturbing peace. He does it by arousing memory. He does it by speaking harshly. That's the point of the law in the Bible. And one more way, he awakens the conscience by showing kindness. Joseph spoke harshly to the brothers, but he he could not restrain his own love for them. You see verse 24, emotion overcomes him. He has to leave the room. He turns away from them and he weeps. And then, and this is just an act of just undeserved kindness, bountiful giving. We're told verse 25 that as Joseph gave orders to fill the bags of the brothers with grain and and to replace every man's money in his sack, 
and to give them provisions for the journey. You see what Joseph's saying, and he says it privately to his servants. He says, fill their sacks and give them back their money. I don't want their money. I, I want to give it to them freely. I uh, want to bless them with this as a free gift. And it's just boundless free favor, generosity, sheer kindness that comes out of the heart of Joseph, who though he has spoken harshly to them for very good reasons, because they needed it, and God used it. Yet, in his heart, there is this great love for them. Now, as you think about this sheer act of kindness in this story, it reminds me of this, that in the New Testament, we're told this, that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. That's uh, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. The kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. And you think about all the kindness of God that's been showered into your life, all the privileges, all of the blessings. And supremely, the great gift of his own son, the undeserved favor, kindness, mercy, grace of God is intended to lead us to repentance. Robert Murray McShane has this comment uh, that I really love and treasure. He says, it is commonly thought that preaching the holy law is the most awakening truth in the Bible, that by it the mouth is stopped and all the world becomes guilty before God. And indeed, says McShane, I believe that this is the ordinary way that God makes use of. So he says, yes, ordinarily what God does is he brings us to conviction of sin through his holy law as he speaks harshly. The thundering from Mount Sinai, the call to holiness that we all fall so short of, we hear it, we feel crushed by it. God does that. And then McShane says this, and yet to me, there is something even more awakening in the sight of a divine savior freely offering himself to every one of the human race. Boy, if the self-giving of Christ, if his undeserved mercy and favor doesn't awaken you and convict you of your own sin, what else in the world would? To be loved with this kind of love. What's really interesting to me is that the brothers are not yet able even to understand this kind of love. They don't know what to do with this kindness. They completely misinterpret it. One of the brothers finds the money in his bag and he says, my money is right here in the mouth of my sack. And notice verse 28, they they don't say we've been shown an abundant act of kindness. What they say is, at this their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? And you know what? This is the first time in the entire story, going back to Genesis chapter 37, the first time in the entire story that the great-grandchildren of Abraham have even used the name of God. First time they even refer to God. God hasn't been on their radar screen until chapter 42 and verse 28, but now he is. Why? Because conscience is awakened. And how is conscience awakened? Because God has disturbed their peace. He's aroused their memory. He's spoken to them harshly. And now he's showing them an undeserved kindness and favor that right now they cannot understand, though one day they will. But at least they're awake. Now, here's my question in closing. 
has anything like this ever happened to you? Has anything like this ever happened to you? I've had many conversations with folks in the congregation in which folks have said to me, and I said, now tell me about how you became a Christian. And the answer is, oh, I've always been a Christian. I've always been a Christian. So I think I understand what a person means when they, when they say that. But here's the question I want to bring back to you. Have you ever then been awakened and convicted of your own sin? Have you ever been convicted about your own sin? Because that's the first mark of a Christian. You say you've always been a Christian. Well, where is the first mark of a Christian in your experience? Is this something that has happened to you? Now, of course, I know that this happens in different ways. It happens at different times, and it happens in different degrees of intensity with different people. And so you might reasonably, when I ask you that question, you might reasonably say, well, how would I know? And here's the answer. You will know that you have been awakened and convicted of your own sin when you come to the clear conclusion that you have sinned enough already in your life to fully deserve the eternal condemnation of God. And I'm saying to you, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that about yourself? Really? Have you come to the conclusion because you were awakened and because you're convicted, have you come to the conclusion as you look back on your life that I have sinned enough already to fully deserve the eternal condemnation of God? Because that's the first thing that happens when a person becomes a real Christian. You say, you've always been a Christian. I just want to know this has happened to you. You see, when you do come to this conclusion about yourself, all the pride and all the swagger and all the self-righteousness and all the pretense will all be gone. And when you come to this conclusion about yourself, you will see yourself as someone whose only hope is in Jesus Christ. And when you come there, hope will have begun for you. That's Pastor Colin Smith, and you're listening to Open the Bible with the message, Awakened and Convicted. Maybe as you listen, you're coming to the conclusion that you don't know Jesus in the way that Colin's been talking about, and that you'd like to, or at least you'd like to know more or to talk with someone about what that would mean for you. I hope you'll take the opportunity to talk to a trusted Christian friend or family member, or go along to a local church and speak to the minister. Or you can contact us at Open the Bible. Just go on the website openthebible.org.uk and click on Contact Us. Open the Bible is listener-supported, and this month, if you're able to support our work with a regular donation of £5 or more, we'd like to thank you by sending you a copy of a book. It's called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. From the beginning of May, there's something new on the Open the Bible website. Sue McLeish will be reading Pastor Colin Smith's Daily Devotionals. I caught up with Sue in the studio and asked her what these daily devotionals have meant to her in her own life. <laughs> well, for many years, I've benefited from reading Colin Smith's daily devotionals, which are available on the website. I've always found them compelling and relevant. And from May, 
Open the Bible UK will be making them available in audio format on the website. As a retired drama teacher and a person who loves God's Word, I just feel very privileged to be the voice for these readings. If you've yet to try Pastor Colin Smith's short daily devotionals, go to openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I very much hope you'll join us next time. What was it like for God to send his one and only Son into the world? Find out next time on Open the Bible.